So for those of you who um, missed the announcement that John made, Phil is with his friend Bill. Um, a couple of years ago they drove to Uluru and our families have done a whole lot of fun adventure things together like going on a houseboat and driving fairly long distances but when the boys said that they wanted to drive to Perth, the rest of us were like, we're out. <laughs> Perth is just too far. So they've been driving for a couple of days. They left Port Augusta this morning and um, basically they've got two weeks and so I don't think they're going to be doing much else other than driving to Perth and back again but that's pretty exciting for them. And when I spoke to Phil this morning, I did not ask him if he'd had a shower because I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real boys trip <laughs> but um but they're having a great time and Phil said he's going to be watching online this morning not sure about service so that'll be interesting to um to know if he's got on but hello to everybody that is watching online it's quite a large amount of people that watch online every week some part people in our congregation who are not well so hello Cheryl who is my friend who normally sits with me and keeps me company down in the front row I don't know what it is here with the front row all the seats being empty. I got online this week to buy some tickets to see you two who are coming to, to um, Sydney or coming to Australia in November and it was a pre-sale. They don't actually full sale go on next week so I'm hoping to buy some next week because when I got online for the pre-sale, the only tickets left were like 500 and something dollars. You know why they were so expensive? Because they were in the front rows. Now I, I don't know if you've all got the message but the front row is free at church. Like they cost the same as the seat you're sitting in. They're absolutely free. So um, at a church I used to belong to, everyone used to say the miracles happen in the front row. And so they'd rush to the front rows. Well, God is everywhere. His Holy Spirit is in ev with every one of you in every seat. But you could come and sit with me in the front row next week if you want to. So I'm not by myself. But hi, Cheryl. Thanks for normally sitting with me. All right. So we're speaking today about the opening day of the church, the church's birthday. And I think when we use that word church, I don't know what you think and what you feel, but I'm pretty sure it's not the same things that they thought and they heard in the first century when they thought of the word church or they thought about church. Because you see, the first century church, it didn't begin as an institution. It didn't begin with any liturgy. It didn't begin with tradition, obviously. There weren't any Bibles, I have to remind myself that sometimes there were no Bibles. People didn't read the Word of God for themselves. There weren't any screens like this. And, you know, there wasn't even any bands. Somehow they met together with neither type of band, any type of band whatsoever. There was no facilities. There was no buildings. There was no staff. There was no hierarchy. There was no appointed preacher or meeting producer. There wasn't even a piano player. They had nothing. Although we don't know. They might have used harps and they might have used something, who knows. But the church itself didn't rely on any of these things. The church began as a movement around a very simple fact. And that fact was Jesus had risen from the dead. People had witnessed that and the Holy Spirit gave them power to speak that out. That's all that the church needed on that opening day. The church launched as a movement. And you know, the, the church continues to move. Christianity is bigger today than it's ever been. It's growing, not in every part of the world, but overall the church continues to move. I want to just take a little step and do a little bit of academic work this morning. Um, 
I feel a little bit like I'm giving you a little bit of an early church history lesson for the first bit of the sermon today. And Phil's not here, so I can dob him in. You know, when we finished college, Phil loved church history so much that that was the book on his bedside table. Like, it was honestly like a big, thick book was church history. I think he read it because it put him to sleep, ultimately. But he actually really loved to read about this stuff. And I think it's grown on me over the years as I've thought about the church and thought about how good and how bad the church has been over history. But the word church, it comes from a Greek, in the Greek New Testament, the little word that translated church was this word, ecclesia, ecclesia. And it literally means a gathering, an assembly or a gathering of people. When Jesus launched the church, this first church, he launched it around as a gathering. It wasn't supposed to be, um, it wasn't necessarily about buildings or anything like that. It was literally people gathered, they heard a message, and they spread with that message. It was a very simple focus. So the first point this morning already is very simple. The church is an assembly, a gathering, a movement. These are the words behind that word, ecclesia. It isn't about something that stands still and it's certainly not about a building. It's about a movement. But something terrible happened in history. As time went on, there was this transition from the idea of being a movement to being a location. From a gathering to the idea of a hierarchy. From, from a dynamic message around a simple event in history it began to transition into something entirely different. And this wasn't helped by the fact that um, the word kind of changed in translation as the Bible was produced or as people spoke about the Bible verbally. And um, in 300 AD, the word church was then actually the um, German word. I can't pronounce the German, but the derivative of that word is this kirsch. And it literally meant, literally meant the Lord's house. But actually, colloquially, colloquially, it just meant any place where people of any religion gathered. It was like a ritual place, a, a sacred place for people of any faith whatsoever. So within 300 years, this thing that was supposed to be a gathering, an assembly, a movement of people, a spreading of people, it suddenly became located to a place, to a building. It was a bit of a throwback to the idea of the temple which Jesus came to teach was not the way forward. This, li- this linguistic transition, if you like, resulted in some terrible theology. People started to get things all wrong. It appeared that the church was located in a building and so therefore the implication was whoever controlled the building controlled the church. Whoever controlled the building controlled the scripture. And whoever controlled the building and controlled the scripture controlled the people. And in some segments of Europe, as many of you would know, whoever controlled the building and controlled the scripture and controlled the people controlled the government. Over time, what began as a movement of distributing truth throughout the world, so it's as simple as it was, a movement um, distributing the truth about Jesus Christ around the world, it became very insider-focused, very hierarchical, very ritual, in some cases pagan, immoral, destructive, unethical, and had absolutely no reflection on what was supposed to be the case when that first century church was launched on opening day when the Holy Spirit came. Let's not mistake it this morning. The church is not, point two, the church is not a place, a building, or a hierarchy. The Salvation Army kind of got it right when I think, I think, when they moved away from, from the word of church. And, and I hope you know that Phil and I and the, the leadership ch- team, we're, we're not the church leaders. 
Jesus is the church leader. We're a core officer. We're here with a group of people trying to help you move forward into what our mission is as an army, as a church of God. So we are a church. We are a part of the church. But the leader of the church is Jesus. Let's always make sure we're following him. So things got a bit bad, as I've just said. But something pretty great happened in the 16th century. In the early 1500s, a guy showed up in England, or he was born in England, and his name was William Tyndale. And he was a British author and scholar. And he decided that it was time for the average person to be able to have their own Bible or have access to the Bible or at least hear the Bible in a language that they knew and that they could relate to. Because in that day, they would go to church and people would listen to the priest preach from the Bible and they didn't really understand the translation at all. So he began to translate from the original Hebrew and Greek into... um, into English and church leaders were not very happy about this. In fact, he became an outlaw. He had to flee England and he went to Germany where he continued to do his translation work. And so the word of God got out. How grateful are we for that today? The word of God got out to us, to people. And so therefore, the church leaders weren't very happy because they began to lose their power because the average people had the facts for themselves. Now, one thing, this is one thing, coming back to these words that I referred to before, one thing that drove the church leaders absolutely crazy was that William Tyndale was translating the scriptures and he was going back from the original Greek and Hebrew into English. And when he got to that Greek word, that ecclesia, Instead of translating the word it into the word church, which people had become to know a place, a ritual, uh, uh, any sort of religious building, he translated it to assembly or gathering because that's what it meant. <laughs> he wanted the church to get back to being what it was supposed to be in the first place, what Jesus had set it off at as, as a growing, multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered movement of people with a very simple message for everyone. And that was that Jesus had risen from the dead and he lives. And this is what Jesus said it should be. And if you've got your Bible there this morning, we're going to have a quick look in Matthew and then in Acts. So you might want to turn it up. But in the book of Matthew, there's an incident where Jesus gathers his closest disciples together and he asks them a question that you probably shouldn't ever ask your friends because they may not tell you what you want to hear. But he says to this group that's gathered, he says, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? Now you can rest assured I'm never going to ask you any of that because I don't want to know most of the time. It's a bit of a dangerous question. What are people saying about me? Jesus asked them. And he says, Um, Oh, so his disciples say, some people think you're a reincarnated John the Baptist. Some people think you're a reincarnated version of some Old Testament prophet. But Peter says this. He says, I'll tell you who I think you are. I think you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 17. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my, and here's this word, it's the word ecclesia. I will build my, not church building, not church place. I will build my gathering. I will build my movement. I will build my church on you, Peter, and the gates of death will not overcome it. 
Well, not too long after this, Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead and he spent about 40 days with his followers. And then he gathered on a hillside and he gave them his final instructions. And he predicts, this is pretty cool, he predicts the beginning of the church, the launch of this movement, the multiplying gathering of people. Have a look in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, this is Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, in Judea, which was the broader area, in Samaria, which is an area they didn't even want to go, and it wouldn't even stop there, but it would be to the ends of the earth. I think this is one of the most significant prophecies in the entire Bible. And you know what? We're a part of the fulfillment of it. We're a part of to the very ends of the earth. We're pretty much almost as far as it gets from where he was standing there in Jerusalem. And so Jesus then departed and this little group of 100 to 120 people went back to the city of Jerusalem and they did what Jesus said. They waited. They met together, they prayed, and they prayed some more. And about two weeks after this, something amazing happened. It was the Jewish celebration of Pentecost, where Jewish people and converts to Judaism, they gathered in Jerusalem, a little bit like the Passover, and they'd celebrate this Jewish festival. We find out later in the book of Acts that there were Jewish people and converts to Judaism from over a dozen different regions. So there was people from all over the place who spoke different languages, had different cultures, different customs, but they would come together to celebrate this holiday. And so the scripture tells us, as um, Phil read to us earlier, that they were meeting together and the Holy Spirit showed up in the midst of them in a powerful way. Tongues of fire, a gushing of wind. But more importantly, what was the effect? Well, the effect was the Holy Spirit manifested himself in such a way that the individual followers of Jesus suddenly were able to speak the languages of all the people who gathered in Jerusalem. That is amazing. Just take a moment. This group of followers, fairly uneducated mostly, followers of Jesus, Holy Spirit comes. There's a physical manifestation, but most importantly, they were suddenly able to communicate the message of Jesus that the church was founded on. How cool is that? You know, I think the significance of this was that it was not a message for our language or a message for a certain group of people, but it was multinational. It was multi-ethnic. It was multicultural. It was just as Jesus had predicted the church would be. So Peter, the one who had been appointed to, to be the one that Jesus would build this movement on, he decides it's time for the very first sermon in church. And basically, he just preaches the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God had raised Jesus to, to, to life. They were his witnesses. And the first century believers, they didn't just teach what Jesus had taught them. Christianity wasn't just about embracing a teaching it was from the very outset about embracing an event and a person. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the message was all about. They said, we are witnesses of fact, the fact that he was crucified and we are witnesses of the fact that he came back to life. That's what the church started on. But for many of us today, what do we think when we think church? Conversations I've had just this week. I need to find myself a church. 
I need to get my family to church. I need to get back to church. I need, oh, my church is a bit boring. (laughs) Well, on opening day, these are phrases that just would not have been thought of. The church was them. The church was them declaring a message. The church was a multiplying gathering of people who would spread the message across the whole entire world. And so Peter wraps up his sermon, Acts 2.38. It says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for those few that were there, those 120 that were there. The promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit, he says, is for you and your children. And look at this bit. This is maybe the, the, the best bit of all. It wasn't just for you, who he was speaking to. It wasn't just for his children, but for all who are far off. For all who are far off. And do you know who all who are far off is or who they are? Us. It's you. It's me. It's our children. It's our grandchildren. It's our early ancestors who embrace Christianity. It's all who are far off. It's people in Australia, people in New Zealand even. It's people in the US. It's people all over Europe, sure, in the UK. It's people everywhere, everyone who are far off. And it's not just a generational thing, he reminds us, because Jesus says the gates of hell will not stop it. The church will not die off. I think some of us feel scared about the church dying off, but it's Jesus' church. He's not going to let it end. Jesus says the gates of hell will not stop it. This generation may die, but the momentum's going to keep going. This generation may die, but the church will continue to fro- to thrive. This is a multi-generational message. This is an event, the resurrection of Jesus is an event that's going to touch people who are far off. And they had their first altar call. And Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Did you hear that? Those who accepted his message And it's the message that still connects the church, the wide church, this movement across the world. It's the message that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that his death paid for our sins. It's the message that Jesus didn't leave us alone. He promised a helper and the helper has come. The helper came that day and the helper is still here. This wasn't just for church people. It wasn't just for those who were here there that day. It wasn't about a certain way of doing things. The church wasn't about a place. It was about a momentum. It was about a movement. It was about a spreading of the message. So finally this morning, I want us to ask ourselves as individuals, am I a part of the church as in the movement? Church is a movement, and if we're not moving, we're not the church. This is a message that Jesus says must touch down across every region of the world, in every single culture and every single language of the world. You know, sometimes I just remember, I realize again, that we don't actually have to go far to take that message across the world because some of the worlds are finding themselves here. But for some of us, we might need to go and travel to other parts of the world as well. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was available to every single human being who would embrace the message of Jesus, acknowledging that we are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. 
And so when we gather like this on a Sunday, in Jesus' name, we're part of a thing called the church. When we gather in homes or in cafes or in restaurants as life groups, we are the church. When we serve the poor, we are the church. When we go into pubs and clubs and and speak the name of Jesus, we are the church. No matter what we're doing, because Jesus lives in us, because the Holy Spirit is the power that keeps us going, we are the church. The church is not a location. It's not a style. It's not an approach. The church is not a building. It's not a service. It's people bearing witness to the living Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. This morning, it's my prayer that we would remember that the Holy Spirit lives in us. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And I would pray this morning that that would move us, move Holy Spirit in my life, move me to keep me on task with the purpose of the early church, to stay on task, on mission with what happened on that very first opening day. They received power, not for themselves, not so they felt good, but so that they would help declare the message, move with the church. I think some of us are waiting for something to happen. But the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit is here. And we need to be obedient to his promptings. This morning, the songsters are going to come and sing right now before we continue in a time of reflection. And they're going to sing a beautiful song called Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may do what thou wouldst do. In other words, that I would be like Jesus. And that's the prayer that we have this morning for our small church in the context of the larger church. So would you pray and reflect as the songs to sing this morning?